remain for the Sooners to show the fan base signs of life. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, along with my co-host Tyler Burton and Corbin Colson. Guys, welcome to the depths of despair. Cheers, fellas. Got a drink in do hand. We, do we have to do this? It's not going to be a drunk pod, but it may be better if it was. Cheers, the team Tyler. may be better if they were drunk. Just a thought. We took last week off, obviously all three of us got a lot going on in life right now, so coming into last week against West Virginia, Oklahoma found a way to win two games in a row, and then you go to West Virginia, and what the, I don't even know, what What do you guys even want to start with this? I mean, do, do we have to talk about this game? I kind of feel like we have to give kind of some quick thoughts on what that performance was in Morgantown, if that's what you do want to call it, but Adam, just throwing it over to you, man. My God, five and five. Got to win at least one out of the next two. I, I think Saturday is a must win just to get to a bowl game. How far have we fallen? Yeah, I don't. I don't see us going to a bowl game at this point. Uh, this is probably Ooh, the take. worst. I, I think this is the lowest point of the season. Obviously, it's the, it's the worst loss in my opinion. You know, the other losses you could look at and kind of explain away as far as you know, hey, you didn't have Dylan Gabriel for for two games there. You knew going into Texas, you know, they were going to win by at least 17 points probably ended up being way worse. But the other games you kind of look at and go, okay, you know, a few things go your way here or there against solid teams in Baylor and K-State. And then you go to West Virginia, you know, probably the bottom feeder team in the entire Big 12. You rush for over 200 yards with your leading rusher, and you just can't get out of your own way. You just keep handing them opportunities. You can't play complimentary football whatsoever. And it's just embarrassing. It felt like... You, you were looking forward to this team improving as the season had gone on and giving some signs of hope and some life and maybe some excitement for the next year. And they really haven't. They've It's seemingly like they've regressed at this point. So it's easily the most disappointing loss of the year for me. Countless opportunities for Oklahoma to win that game on Saturday, Adam. West Virginia kind of seemed like was just begging for the better part of three quarters for Oklahoma. Okay, take this game. Put us out of our misery. We want to fire our head coach. That's kind of the plan right now. They did fire their athletic director, so uh, it kind of feels like it's only a matter of time for Neil Brown. But, you know, oh, you make costly mistakes on all three sides of the football, stupid penalties, missed tackles, drop passes, overthrows, and guys, what I thought was the first, you know, major bad coaching decision of the season for Brent Venables when he decided to kick that field goal on uh, on fourth and what was it, fourth and two with six minutes to go. Uh, terrible. Uh, I thought that was a terrible call by by uh, Brent Venables, giving them the football at midfield by the uh, Zach Schmidt miss. But guys, five times Brent Venables talked about it uh, after the game. Five times Oklahoma was in was in West Virginia territory, came away with zero points. You pair that with going one for eleven on third downs, you're not going to beat anybody. That West Virginia squad. Guys, I, t- I texted you in the group chat. That was one of the worst football teams I've seen in the Big 12 in quite some time, even comparable to Kansas' standards over the last four to five years. And we just couldn't get out of our own way. That was an embarrassing loss, and there's really no other way to spin it. That's a bad, bad look for Oklahoma. Now we find ourselves 5-5 five and five, and probably not going to go to a bowl game. Outside of Eric Gray, do either of you have any bright spots about this game? I thought Stutzman played pretty well. The defense was was decent in the first half. I thought the defense was okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Outside Absolutely. of the fourth quarter, I thought they were okay, except they just can't get off the damn field. Yeah. I, that is the only issue with this defense because, guys, think back even just three years ago. If we would have held any team in the Big 12 to 23 points, we would be over the moon about that defensive performance. And, of course, the one time we get a, a an okay defensive performance, like the offense scores 20. So – it, it goes back to, and we even going back to last year, 
complimentary football is just non-existent with this program. Mm -hmm. You go up 10 right before half, give up a big kick return, ends up being a touchdown. I I get we ran the two-point conversion back. And then I'm even trying to think into earlier games, even against Texas, had no chance of winning that game. But a couple drives, you're going downfield. You get away from the Wildcats and have an Eric Gray pop pass that gets picked off. You drop an interception, Texas goes and scores. There's just nothing in this program that is cohesive. Maybe that's a good word for it. It mm-hmm. just feels all over the place. And as soon as somebody starts doing good, the rest of the ship drops off. Yeah. It definitely seems like it's a mentally weak team the first time that they even face the slightest bit of adversity. But, I mean, you guys make a good point. Oklahoma just simply cannot get out of their own way. Their stretches where it looks good, but it's never complimentary football where this team is able to put all three phases of the game together. But guys, just going through and looking at some of the mistakes that this team made, I mean, like like you said, Corbin, Oklahoma gave up 23 points. If going into that game, we would have taken that. I feel like all all three of us would have confidently said that. But, you know, you've got Marvin Mims dropping a a wide-open touchdown pass. You've got Dylan Gabriel overthrowing a wide-open Marvin Mims on a seam route. That would have been another touchdown as well. Brayden Willis, you know, the senior captain, I've – this is the one negative thing that I'm going to say about it. He's due a mistake uh, this year with how well he's played, but that's a huge mental mistake that uh, took four points off of the board for Oklahoma. The offsides by the freshman, uh, R. Mason Thomas, the face mask, they took it from a third and 22 to a first down. West Virginia went on to score. Trayvon West, you're one the one time where you have a chance to make a play and have an impact on special teams. You prematurely run into the punt returner, making a crucial error at the wrong times. And guys, that kind of sums up the. Uh, uh, I think the overall theme of, of this football team this year is Oklahoma when in crunch time, they are the they are the team that is making the critical mistakes and they can't get out of their own way. And that's why we're sitting here with five losses. Yeah, the stats don't lie in crunch time. You know, any fourth down, whether it's us trying to convert them, uh, we're not good at that. Ranked 100th in the entire country in converting our own fourth downs. On the flip side, the defense ranked 97th in giving up all those fourth downs. Mm-hmm. So they just can't get off the field. And the most painful way that they illustrate that is in the last two games, OU's needed to get the ball back to have an opportunity to score, to to tie it, or or win the game. And they just haven't been able to get the ball back. The other team has completely taken the air out of the football and run out the clock or kick that that last second field goal like West Virginia did. And yeah, it's just a a sign that this team is mentally weak um, across the board. And it's, it's sad to watch. That's been the most depressing thing for me as an OU fan the last couple of weeks is when Baylor got the football for the final possession last week and then when West Virginia took over with six minutes to go, we knew that the defense wasn't stopping him. We knew that Baylor and West Virginia were going to go down there and score and hand Oklahoma a loss. So I we talked about it. You know, what is the panic meter level uh, with, with Brent Venables right now? I don't think I'm – I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on that here in just a second. I'm I'm nowhere near as close to where I think a lot of Oklahoma fans are. I think our fan base right now um, are – God, it's it's embarrassing with some of the takes that are out there right now about this coaching staff and the direction that they believe this program is headed. So, guys, well, let's, I mean, let's talk about that, though. Where, where do you point the finger? Is it coaching? Is it playing? Is it players? Excuse me. Is it scheme? You may have you, you may need more fingers than you have to point all the issues, but where where are you pointing the big one? I think it's a combination of everything, and I do want to start out by saying that there is absolutely no excuse for Oklahoma to be a five and five football team with with the current makeup of this roster. I know that the Big Twelve from top to bottom is probably this is the best that this team has been, uh, the best that this conference has been collectively, maybe in the last decade. 
Um, but I will say this coming into the season and I'm as guilty as anybody on this. I think we seriously overestimated the talent level on this football team. Uh, the talent lost in the off season to the NFL, uh, the talent that was lost in the transfer portal, uh, was severely underestimated and guys, we hung our hats on the idea that it doesn't matter who's left on this roster. It's Brent Venables. So of course, Oklahoma is going to play good defense. So I, I think that talent, uh, or excuse me, I think that coaching does have a little bit to do with it because o- Oklahoma continues to play undisciplined brain of football, particularly on defense uh, with penalties on both sides of the football. But I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna come back to it. To me, I, th- I think it's talent. I, I really don't think that Oklahoma's got the guys right now uh, to be able to compete with the likes of what TCU is doing, K State, and I think it's. I go. You're shaking your head. Take take it away. How can you say that when we are the have the fourth highest percentage in the blue chip ratio to begin the season? TCU's not on there. K-State's not on there. The only one I can see that's on there in this entire conference is Texas. At least mm-hmm. Texas is somewhat respectable right now. Yeah. How can you say the talent's not there when every I, I get not all recruits pan out to their projected uh, you know, status within a program as a player, heading to the pros, all of that stuff. But like, how can you say that when this team has recruited well uh-huh. and yep. we are so far short of, right. of what that is, but the talent on paper should be there. Well, I think, you know, you lost a third of your roster this off season with but this, everything. This is taking it, that into advantage. I, I understand that. Yeah. But, and then you, you brought in a recruiting class um, that again was highly ranked shout out to coach Venables and the staff for being able to, you know, basically kind of save face and, and hold this thing together. Transfer portal wasn't as good to Oklahoma as it was to some other teams like an LSU. A uh, large part of that, I think was in fact that Oklahoma was basically the last power five uh, program that was able to bring in a coach. So the transfer portal was pretty bare with the options that were available for Venables and this team to choose from Adam, you can speak on that better than anybody with the research that you've done but I think that with the amount of turnover that this roster had and with some of the especially the key positions having so many new faces and a lot of those new faces being you know freshmen underclassmen guys that are in their first year of starting so you pair that with having to learn a brand new scheme both offensively and defensively I don't think it was a very good it wasn't a very good match and uh, that's kind of why I feel like Oklahoma uh, is in the position that they're in right now because they're having to learn this new scheme with Brent Venables because they're not, to me, not that it's not that they're not talented, but what Venables needs to do to be successful as a defense, Oklahoma simply does not have the guys, particularly in the front seven, to be able to do that. I I agree in the sense that yes, there's not enough talent on this team to for where it should be, where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But there's enough to be a lot better than five and five, or at least to be performing better to show signs of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Reggie Grimes as a former four star. You've got Woody Washington and Jane Davis, who are our former four stars. Uh, you've got you've got Ethan Downs, who looked like a solid player, uh, you know, with a with a high ceiling uh, coming into the season. There were lots of guys that were were showing signs of hope, and like Corbin mentioned, that blue chip ratio was at seventy one percent fourth. Um, even when you take into account the transfers coming in, that only lowered it to sixty five percent. So there's more than enough guys on this team. Now, at the same time, none of those guys look better than they did at the beginning of the year. They should at least, if you think the talent is terrible on this team, they should at least go from terrible to bad. At least that would be good coaching. It, just because you know these guys aren't Alabama defenders, you know they should mm-hmm. still be improving, and they're not. They're getting worse. I, I think I think that the record is not completely indicative of 
the quality of the, of this football team because I mean we're a handful of plays away um, from you know total of beating Kansas State of beating Baylor of beating West Virginia so we're just simply not doing the little things that, that is required to you know to play winning football and close out games uh, and, you know bring a, add one to the win column as opposed to the loss column Corbin what about you is it talent coaching mixture. So, so it's some sort of mixture that I can't quite figure out. I mean, I'm looking at last year's record versus this year's record. Last year record, guys, six and one in one score games in 2021. This year, mm-hmm. the team is 0 and three. That is sports in general, right? The ball is going to sure. bounce different. Um, mm-hmm. If you put together a drive against K State, if you put together a drive and a stop against Baylor, if you get a stop against West Virginia, this this outlook's totally different from sure. eight and three to five and five, massive difference. You could say the same thing about last year. If West Virginia is able to not fumble the ball over their head on their drive in Norman, they probably end up winning that game. So I, I don't know what it is, guys. I, I even Oklahoma's B talent should be more competitive than a five and five football team. And so if you're telling me this is the best we have, I just have a hard time coming to that conclusion. You just, I understand we're not necessarily always in like a top five recruiting class, but we recruit better than almost anybody outside of that team in orange to the south of us. You can't tell me that there's not talent. Now, if the talent's not developed, if the talent's not reaching its potential, fine, I can get behind that. But just talent alone, I can't get behind that this team is lacking talent. It just doesn't make sense because this team was, what, 8-0, 9-0 last year? Majority of the guys are still here. And so I just, I'm having a, a, a tough time kind of gathering out, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I can make the defensive argument fine, but offensive side of the ball, they're all still here. Yeah. Let me put some numbers behind that just because people say that, yeah, there's so much roster turnover. Oh, you had about 41% of the roster that is new players this year. Um, that's pretty high on the, on the grand scheme of things. There's some other teams that are in similar neighborhoods like Ole Miss, like Oregon, two teams doing pretty well there. Um, that's not always the rule. There's other teams that turned over a lot of their roster like Nebraska that are, are not doing well, but you can also look at that and go, okay, 41% of the roster are guys that Venables said, I'm going to go pursue you in the transfer portal or as a recruit or as an existing recruit that he said, I want to keep your, uh, you know, your commitment to the university of Oklahoma. And how many of those guys are actually contributing from the freshman class? I guess you could say our Mason Thomas is contributing. Grayson Halton is, is contributing. But those are stretches. Jaron a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're really not contributing whatsoever from the transfer portal. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel, because, you know, there was no quarterback on the roster. So someone had to do that. Outside of that, I don't who who's contributing. McCade Mattire. I mean, he hasn't been good. He's been a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, what I, I worry about that heading forward, guys. Like if you're not already working on transfer portal, portal stuff. Oh, absolutely. You're going to th- get I, left in the dust. I think that's one of the the huge reasons why we've seen the the news and the announcement this week coming from the what is it the Oklahoma like the the collective where they're trying to raise Crimson three three million dollars yeah over the over the next few weeks so they didn't make that big of a dent in the first <laughs> no, couple no, days like one hundred fifty well, thousand yikes we'll see we'll see but again when you talk about I know that there was a, a lot of roster turnover but guys there was a lot of roster turnover at really key positions I mean Perry on Winfrey Isaiah Thomas Benito DTY Brian Osamoa 
And then, guys, I hate to say it, Caleb Williams, best player in college football, he covered up a lot of things last year. I mean, he had that, three good games against the three worst teams in the Big 12 last year, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech. And outside of that, he was pretty average, except for one I'm, great play against Kansas. I, I'm not pointing the finger at Dylan Gabriel. What's Oklahoma's record right now if Caleb Williams is the quarterback? Leave Lincoln Riley in L.A. If Caleb Williams is in Norman right now, they don't lose to West Virginia. They don't lose to Baylor. They don't lose to Kansas State. This is probably 8-2, football team. It's so second I, year Caleb Williams, and we knew we weren't going to have him back. He didn't want to be here. I think we all knew that. I think that I think that it's very apparent that Brent Venables took over a program where for the last six years there has been zero accountability on the defensive side of the football. He inherited a defense that's been allowed to basically suck because they've hung their hat on relying on an off- on an elite offense to bail them out time and time again. And, you know, guys, we've, we've talked about it for the last month. The defense is mentally weak. Anytime adversity hits, they're not very talented. We're not aggressive. We're out-physicaled at the point of attack against every elite team in this conference that we've played. And all of that adds up to a soft defense that plays, without, that plays with zero emotion. So, again, I know that this team probably on paper, yes, when you go by the amount of stars, you look and see who – came back for this team, but I just refuse to believe that Brent Venables and this coaching staff, they didn't forget how to coach. They didn't forget how to coach. At some point, yes, I know that there's a lack of discipline. I know that the team should be better than 5-5, five and five, but there comes a point in time where you've got to hold the players accountable. Brent Venables can't go out there and make the tackle. Uh, LaDamian Washington can't catch the football. Uh, Bill Beanboat and, and uh, you know, uh, 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 Chavis and Todd Bates, they're not the ones out there getting false start penalties, getting offside. So there comes a point in time, you've got to hold the guys that are on the field playing in between the lines accountable for what's going on. And that's where I think that you're going to continue to see over the next couple of years, you're going to see, I think, a major roster turnover this cycle. I think that some difficult conversations are about to be had here in the next couple of weeks. You're going to see some players exit, uh, whether it's you know their own well-doing entering the transfer portal or Brent's going to have to say, you know what, there's really not a place for you here. There's going to be a massive uh, roster overhaul, I think. And then there's going to be development as this as the scheme continues to get installed, as Brent's able to get his guys in, I think you're going to see this. All these people out here that are you know, pushing the panic button saying, is Venables the guy? He's in over his head. He can't get it done. That's the most asinine thing that I've ever heard. Give it time, and I think that this program will get back to where it is because Venables best off one of the best defensive minds in college football history, at least in the last 20 years. Jeff Lebby on offensive coordinator – who coming into this season was on many people's short list to be a new head coach this in the Power Five. Give it time. Try to figure out a way to get to a bowl game this year. Win one out of the last two. Take advantage of those 15 practices, and we'll see how it goes going into 2023. So I think a lot of the frustration from the fan base is not just that things don't look good and that the team isn't winning, but the fact that there doesn't look to be much progress. from I, we, To me, we look significantly worse from week one through three to now so this this development they, they didn't forget how to coach they should the one thing we complained about for lincoln riley and alex grinch for years was the lack of development the lack of growth the lack to see players reach their full potential this is no different that to me is where i i have you have to lean back on the coaching because these players aren't playing better than what they were at the start of the year so i think i mean Sorry, go ahead, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. So we're blaming Marvin Mims's three drop touchdowns this year. We're bl- we're going to blame Dylan Gabriel's overthrows. Do you think that's coaching? A lot of those, it, a lot of those moments are played. It can be. 
it, it, here's the deal. I, I, I am not a, an X's and O's fundamental guy. I can only see what, what I see. But when I'm watching, um, what was the game that Robert Griffin was basically sitting there picking apart Dylan Gabriel's footwork? It's TCU. 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 Yeah. He's sitting there saying, this is exactly why he's overthrowing anybody, everybody. If Robert Griffin III can sit there and do that after a week of preparation looking at Dylan Gabriel, why can't our coaching staff do that? Why is that adjustment not being made in practices? That's the stuff where it's think I do think you can push it back because that is fundamental stuff. It, there is some things that have nothing to do with coaching. Um, who, who was it? R. Mason Thomas or, or Grayson Halton who, who literally lined up offsides? Grayson, yeah, Grayson Halton. You can't coach that. That's just being really, really not smart player. And I'm using those words instead of others. I probably should, but there are things I think you can coach that are showing up in games where it's like, why aren't those things being addressed? That's the only thing I'm saying. Yeah. And I don't disagree with you necessarily, Tyler, in regards to like, I'm not on the firebrand train. Uh, I still think he's the right guy. Uh, I still think he's going to get at least three years to really, you know, turn this thing around. But we can at the same time expect and demand a lot more from what we see out of this team. Of course. Uh, case in point, Nebraska, 49 to 14 in week three. If that game's played today against a Nebraska Oof. team that looks no better than what they did on that Saturday, I don't think that score is anywhere close to 49 to 14. It's a dogfight. Yeah. And so we have to say, okay, yeah, he can't make – Marvin Mims catch the ball. He can't make, you know, some of these necessarily changes happen, but he can inspire that defense to go out and not just stay on the field while the fourth quarter clock runs to zero. Mm -hmm. a, a coach has to get through to his players. He has to be able to communicate and inspire those guys to at least play with some heart. <laughs> and they're, they're just not showing it. One, one second, Tyler, because I think one thing adding back to what Adam and I are saying, and I heard this on, I think it was the U40 pod. How does the wide receivers not have the right gloves on for a rainy game? That's freaking coaching. That's that's coaching. Those those are things that don't fall to me on the players. I worked in equipment. The players don't come in there and say, "Ooh, I want this." No, you give them what they need for the conditions that they're about to play in. That's coaching. That is on that staff for not having the team prepared for things outside of the game to be ready. That those are the types of things that should drive this fan base nuts. That West Virginia had the right gloves on for rain, but Oklahoma didn't. How's that possible? That's the kind of stuff that just I think is invigorating. It's, it's, the, it's the little knickknack stuff that Oklahoma is just simply not doing, and that's but that's what Brent preaches. No, I I completely get that. It's I what he that. preaches. So why? And, where is it? Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if we're still having this same conversation at this time next year, okay, that's when I think that you really need to start having the conversation of okay, is Brent is Brent the guy that can get this done? But I think that it's just simply too early in the process. And kind of one last point that you know, if if you guys want to give your thoughts on this, we've seen a. If there's one thing that that the last month has shown us, you know, whether it's on social media, whether it's on message boards, whether it's conversations that you have in the workplace, I I still think that this. If if you go down the list, you look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, Ohio State, hell, you go and watch TCU Baylor, or you go, you go watch K State Baylor from this past weekend. You watch Texas versus TCU. There are not very many guys on this Oklahoma football team that would start on those teams. We just but, simply but don't why? look, we just don't simply look like that. Take, why? Take, oh. It goes back to the, where are you pointing the figure? Why is it because they're not talented enough or are they not being coached well enough? That, that, and that, yeah. I said, I don't think what we know. 
And a majority of the guys on that TCU team wouldn't get a scholarship offer to Oklahoma. Yep. So it goes mm-hmm. the other way too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's enough guys on there and I know we're, we're, I don't know if we're going to address the portal in more detail necessarily or not. It's, we it's can. kind of a, it's a thing that I think OU is moving in the right direction on, but I'm not fully sold that that's going to be an answer because we looked at, um, you know, who, who was in the portal from a defensive line perspective, mm-hmm. not necessarily guys that were recruited into the portal, but who actually went through the portal ended up somewhere else on the defensive line. There just really isn't that many difference makers. It's, it's still an early process in the portal. We're still getting data out of that to see what comes out. We might get some defections from A&M that are really talented that maybe pan out. I don't know, but I'm just not holding my breath that the answers are going to be there. I think, and it's not going to be the answer that I want to hear that other OU fans want to hear, but in order for this team to improve going into 2023, it's going to be the off, the off season of internal development. Yep. You know, where is our Mason Thomas next year? Mm-hmm. Where is Grayson Holton? Can mm-hmm. PJ Bore actually, can we actually get a signature on his NLI here in about a month and get him on campus? Can he be a guy? Can Danny Stutzman improve? Can Jaron Kanick take someone's job and, and, you know, move David Aguebu off the field? It's not going to come from the portal, in my opinion. I just don't think that there's a, there's enough dudes there that can make a difference. Uh, I agree. The elite teams are are plugging specific positions into the roster from the portal. Unless Very you're Georgia. <laughs> well, Georgia, even, even them. Georgia I, well, Georgia didn't take a single transfer. Last that, year. And that's 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 a one off. Even I, goes I, goes to my point. You know, you look at uh, the the Gibbs kid that went from Georgia Tech to Alabama. Like very mm-hmm. specific needs mm-hmm. on your roster. Yeah. The elite teams will have that because they've developed and have recruited at a high enough level level where they don't need that turnover in their in their roster. If we have another massive turnover in this roster, that's all we're going to hear about next year because that is the one thing that is giving me maybe a little bit of a higher doubt level on Venables and this coaching staff to get the job done is because the excuses for this team are starting from the top. How many times do we need to hear Jeff Lebby say, it's a young team, these guys are still getting to know each other. We're freaking 10 games into the season. And what do you hear from the players directly after that? Uh, you know, got to get back to the drawing board, a lot of new faces. Like, it's trickling down. This is the culture that we wanted to get away from. And from the top, there are excuses after excuses after excuses, and you're starting to hear the players say the same thing. That's not the culture that Brent said he wanted. Am I off there? It changed, you know, from the K-State loss where Brent went mm-hmm. out and kind of took a lot of the blame. And now it's it's more like, oh, we got to we just got to get better. Kind of a we thing, which I, yeah, I, I think I love that tone. I but. think you've got to trim the fat on on this roster. And I think that that process starts here in a matter of about three weeks um, because there's there's a lot of players on this roster. You know, there's there's a few starters. There's also a lot of young guys um, that aren't getting any playing time. We don't we don't know why. We don't know why some players that have been on campus for you know a couple of years why they can't seem to find their way onto the field. Um, but if Venables is going to have to, he's going to have to make some drastic changes this offseason. Maybe from a uh, not just a, a roster standpoint, but you know whether it's uh, making a couple staff changes as well. I think all three of us can confidently say we're not sure if Ted Roof's going to be part of this staff next year. What are some things that that Brent Venables is going to do in the offseason that's going to give fans uh, maybe not a sense of relief. But these are ch- holistic changes that that we can tell that Brent is going to do what it takes to get Oklahoma back on the right path. I th- I still think, I still think even sitting right now at five and five, and I and I, I said this a month ago after we lost to Texas forty nine to nothing. If it's going to take a six and six or a seven and five year for those holistic changes to be made, 
I'm okay with that, knowing that we're ultimately going to get to a place down the line uh, where Oklahoma is, is back completing, uh, back competing for uh, uh, conference championships and national championships. Trimming fat only works if you replace it with something better. Absolutely. You can't lose weight and be down in chips and Twizzlers. Mm-hmm. That's not how you, this works. So what you, are you? What are you going to fill the the roster with? You can't bring in recruits from Wyoming, from Tulane, different things like that. Oklahoma's going to have to get very, very aggressive in the portal. And just like kind of like we talked about just a second ago with the NIL, you're going to have to you're going to have to pony up some dollars. You're going to have to uh, fork over some dollars to get some uh, talent coming to you because it's it's going to be the wild wild west in the transfer portal this year. There's you're going to have to re-recruit your own roster. You're going to have to incentivize these kids to come play for your school as opposed to going over to this other one. If guys from the number eight overall recruiting class last year can't get on the field and make a dent with how bad the talent supposedly is in Norman, what makes the recruits from the number six or five or six class that they are right now think that they're going to get enough playing time? And what gives fans confidence that a guy like PJ Adebore is going to come in and actually make a difference? Hope they develop them because I'm really looking forward to this 150,000 NIL deal getting you know the uh, the two stars <laughs> out of the portal because that's all that's going to afford. You you look at the players, you look at the personnel that Brent had at Clemson, all the four stars, all the five stars. He had a handful of PJ uh, Audibleares. When you start to get the elite talent in here that can run Venable's scheme the way he wants to, I think that's where you're going to start to see this defensive side of the football uh, take those steps. At least I hope. Because uh, Venables didn't forget how to coach when he's got elite talent like we've seen at Clemson over the last decade. He can get it done. They were the number one overall defense in college football for a handful of years for a reason. So give it time. Give it uh, give it repetition for these players and these coaches. It's going to be okay. Are we even sure PJ is going to stick? <laughs> I don't know if I want to get into that. <laughs> I, I will say this. That, let me just open this up real fast. Can OU recruit at that level? Yes. Can, can, can the brand the financial backing and the location of our university. Can we compete at that level? The brand? Yes. The financial backing? No, but the track record of this staff, I think can nothing now (laughs) from an, from an NFL draft standpoint. I think that that has a chance to make up from some of the shortcomings. That window though, that window is so narrow for a high school recruit that doesn't watch college football. Because we're already one year removed. We have a new draft class that's coming out that's not going to get drafted. That's not going to be on Todd Bates' resume. So I, I don't know there. I, I will agree they're with not, you. They're not his players, though. They're not his recruits. It they're not his guys. It doesn't matter. He needs to develop those guys. Even if it's from terrible to bad, he needs to develop them that direction. Jordan they're Kelly and Josh Ellison, you're going to blame Todd Bates for the lack of this performance? Is where, this is where it goes back to what Adam was saying about the portal. You did pick guys from the portal. You chose them. Yep. In the and months of January, in the months of January and February, when the talent was a huge bulk of the talent was already gone, and have they improved? Not really. No. Is so that in, is that <laughs> that that's is coaching. that has to be on coaching at some point? Okay, flip flip it. Put put uh, Venables at Georgia. Put Kirby Smart at, at Oklahoma. Are you still gonna Are you still gonna blame Kirby Smart that Josh Ellison and Jordan Kelly? And again, we're not not here to pick on guys. They are you still chose going- them. If you're based going, on, if based you're on going, what was available at the time, though. But that's fine. Then don't take them. Have more scholarships for the next year, especially if you're going to end up five and five. Yeah, but you got to have depth. But you, for what? The depth doesn't do anything. There is well, no. You, you, you've, got no field, you've got to field. You've got to field bodies out there, though. Well, I, Tyler, I, 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 
I'm, I'm, I, I completely agree with you that the quality of the depth is not good. I completely but agree. Shouldn't with that. shouldn't it be shouldn't it look better today? Even if it's not good, shouldn't mm-hmm. it look better today than what it did week one? And it doesn't. Yes. 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 It needs to go from at I'll least terrible that. to bad. That's the still the point. Like even if these players suck, they have to mm-hmm. at least get to bad and then get them to average and then get them to good. You know, like there needs to be a progression and there's no progression. The guys are exactly the same, if not worse than they were from the first game. But again, I, I just, I always go back to the point and we can look at it from the results as recent as three days ago, the R Mason Thomas face mask, the, the, the drop passes, the, uh, the inadvertent offside penalties. That's not coaching at some point in time. You've got to hold the players accountable and you can't, you can't blame Brent Venables or Jeff Levy because Marvin Mims can't catch the football. So how are are the players being held accountable by this coaching staff? Exactly. I've been wondering we that, that a we lot. Can't, we can't answer that. We can't answer that. It doesn't I mean, sound like it. They're they're allowing the same mistakes week after week after week. They're still playing. So there's nobody behind them. It doesn't matter. Are you going to get any worse than five and five? Well, you got to try to make a bowl game right now. I. Uh, but let's let's talk about the the past two games. You lost anyway. Mm-hmm. 49 nothing's the same as 33-31. It's a loss. But I don't think it's as simple as saying, okay, just plug the next guy in and things are just going to automatically get better. Like, let's not forget. You want the to change you do. But at the same time, Venables' job is to win football games. So he's going to put the guys out there that he thinks give them the best uh, opportunity to win. I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I don't, I don't want to see... Jaden Davis anymore. Throw Gentry Williams out there. I, I I know what I've got from guys that have been on campus three to four years. If David Aguebu is not playing well, get him out. If if Justin Broyles, which I'm again glad he's gonna it sounds like he's gonna be back this week. Didn't want to see his career in that way. If he's not playing well, if Key Lawrence isn't playing well, get him out. I don't want to see it anymore. The season's already over. You're five and five. What what, what do you have to lose? If if McCade Matower is not playing well, if Andrew Rame's not playing well, get him out. Put some of the young guys in there. The season's over anyway. What more do you have to lose? Guys, I think my only question left is if this team goes and wins the final two games of the season, does your thoughts on what the season is or was change at all? Seven and five heading into a bowl game. I think it has to provide some hope because that bowl game, you would like to think that the practices preceding that game would allow opportunities for more RSJ, for more Canik. You're going to see some opt-outs. Maybe Gavin Sawchuk figures into the running back rotation, yada, yada, Jaden Gibson, whoever. So you'd like to say, okay, now we can see some of those young guys maybe ball out in a bowl game, whether they win or lose. That that possibly gives you a glimpse of the future and gives you some hope going forward. Mm-hmm. And to, to finish the season with two wins – I know Oklahoma State's pretty beat up, and Texas Tech is kind of a mixed bag. I guess that would be somewhat impressive. It would definitely leave a better taste in the mouth. Yeah, I see Saturday as being a must-win game because there's no way this football team is going on the road and winning a night game in Lubbock to close out the regular season. That's something that Joe How about the Big 12? By the way, how about the Big 12? Like, OU, you suck. This may be your last season here if, if things iron out. Let's put you on prime television. We, we've given you 11 a.m. kicks for the past five years, have loved every second of it, and now that you suck, we're going to put you in prime time. Just well, so kind it's of It's the TV networks, but I don't understand why they value a game against Texas Tech more than they value the game against West Virginia or Iowa State. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like Black Friday and less inventory on the Saturday following, but it's I, weird. 
I do want to clarify one thing that I said just a second ago because I I did kind of contradict myself. Now, w- what I was saying that uh, the from a coaching standpoint, they're going to put the the eleven best guys out there that they think is going to give them a chance to win, and th- that's that that coaching philosophy with this bunch is simply not going to change. What I'm coming from is. I think that you come. There comes a point in time where, when you've got guys that have been playing multiple years, and when you've got guys that have been playing a huge bulk of the starting reps for the first eleven weeks of the season, if they're simply not getting it done, and you're going to lose, that's when I think that it's okay to throw a Jaron Canick or an RSJ or um, somebody that doesn't have as much proven experience because the season is already done at this point. You're not winning anything. All of your goals are gone. Throw the young guys in there, start to build the confidence and get them some game experience going into next season because ultimately the young guys are who you're going to be riding with going into 2023 and beyond. Tyler, you said that a month ago. We all said that a month ago. And it never happened. They're not playing. I know. I know. They're not playing. So if they're, if they're not going to do it, if they haven't done it in the past month, they're, they're not going to do it for the final two weeks of the season. Unfortunately, I agree with you. And that that's that's what I don't understand because it's not just that they're not playing very well. It's that they're stupid decisions on top of not playing very well. Mm-hmm. Like not only are you not growing as a, as a player on a football field, you're also making destructive decisions for this team that could have been avoided and put putting you in a situation to win a game. So you're, you're, you're the, the worst of both worlds and you're still on the field. That's that's the stuff that we complained so much about Riley and Grinch was they refused to make these changes, and that's exactly what this coaching staff is doing. Mm-hmm. I do want to make one point. This team, <laughs> this team, this team is a handful of plays away from being seven and three or eight and two. So yeah. again, it's the little things that you've got to do. Oklahoma's not doing them. That's why we're sitting at five and five right now. So, well, let's let's talk about how that applies to Bedlam, which it's kind of crazy that it's Bedlam. I just win Bedlam and. and we're not going to talk about the game. A, They're a not whole going lot, to really, but not, not a Spencer's plan. Nope. Tyler, Tyler, let's actually start on the defensive side of the ball for the Ugh. Sooners because that's kind of top of mind. What are you, what are you looking for? I mean, we know who's going to be out there on the field for yeah. the Sooners, but what are you looking we, for from them? Well, and it sounds like we know who's going to be starting quarterback for Oklahoma State this weekend. Spencer Sanders came in during the third quarter of last week's game against uh, Iowa State uh, and led the uh, Cowboys to a win against the Cyclones. But, guys, two totally different offenses with and without Spencer Sanders. In the last three weeks that Spencer was injured, uh, battling that shoulder injury, OSU was averaging just 12 points uh, a game and getting shut out on the road in Manhattan. Prior to the injury, when the Cowboys had a healthy Spencer Sanders. Oklahoma State was absolutely lighting it up on the scoreboard, averaging 45 a game. They put 36 on Baylor, 40 on TCU, 41 on Texas. I, this game for me, it is very simple. If Spencer plays and he's healthy, Oklahoma's not winning on Saturday. I'm sorry. Prove me wrong, Oklahoma defense, but I simply just do not see it. Um, a couple guys that OU fans are going to, if you're watching the game or if you're going to be in attendance for Bedlam 2022, uh, the two Richardson boys. Uh, running back number 20, Dominique Richardson, tough physical downhill runner, eight touchdowns on the year. Uh, and then wide receiver number 17, John Paul Richardson, big play threat down the field for the Cowboys. He had an 83-yard touchdown this past weekend against the Cyclones. He can take the top off of the defense, so that'll be a big test for Woody Washington on Saturday. A couple other guys, Jay Nixon, 23, Brennan Presley, number 80. This is going to be a good test for Oklahoma secondary against a uh, Spencer Sanders that's going to be out there. But uh, – Again, guys, there's really nothing. I know that the defense did play better uh, for you know about three and a half quarters on Saturday against West Virginia, but to me, this team just simply hasn't done enough to show me that they're capable of slowing down Spencer Sanders enough for this team to win. 
for whatever reason, Spencer didn't start against Iowa State last week, which was strange to see him come in the game. Mm-hmm. My only thoughts on this, do it again, Mike. You only need him for a half to beat us. That's you it. You don't need him till the fourth quarter. You don't need him till at least at least halftime. Keep him healthy. Keep him on the bench because it's going to be a ball game by half, even if he's not playing. And then come let him play a couple quarters and you guys can run away with it. That's all they need. And so if he's in the game, if he's somewhat healthy, this game is not going to be that close. The only hope this OU defense has is to hit him in that damn shoulder and make it hurt. That is the only opportunity they have to slow him down. So he wouldn't have played against Iowa State if he, if he wasn't going to play against uh, against OU this weekend. That, I don't that think he's going to be ready to go. I don't think there's an alpha on this defense that would even try to attempt something like that. And no. if they wanted to attempt it, I don't think they could get to him because we have <laughs> no pass rush. So if they, if they couldn't hit green from West Virginia, I have a very hard time thinking they're going to bring down Spencer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, this Cowboys offense is kind of interesting. It's a little bit different from ones of, of yesteryear. Spencer Sanders is really good. Um, he hasn't had the greatest health this year. So I'm still, I still think he's probably like a top three quarterback in the big 12, but Dominic Richardson, top, he's top had, five, maybe Adam. Probably definitely <laughs> top five. Um, he Dominic Richardson, he's had some health issues too at the running back position, but he's not Jalen Warren or some of the other running backs that have been really good for the Cowboys. And then from the receiver room, they've got several guys that are right around that 500 yard mark, but no alpha. Um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. We're used to like one major guy at each of those you know, position levels to have to defend. And so I'm, I'm curious to see what the health of the overall team uh, for the Cowboys is. And, you know, can OU get lucky and, you know, like a blind squirrel <laughs> finding a nut someday? Like, can they get a hit on him to, to maybe make him think twice before he runs or, or think twice in, when he's passing the ball? Um, I think that's kind of your path to success, but I just don't see it playing out. Yeah, the the injury report for Oklahoma State, particularly on the offensive line this week, is is kind of up in the air. They've got a couple guys that you know didn't. It's rumored that they're not going to play, but they might give it a go. We're not going to know until uh, pregame on Saturday. But uh, I think you make a really good point, Adam. You know, going into this weekend, if Spencer Sanders was 100 percent healthy, his legs scare me more than his arm does, and he's a really good thrower of the football this year. But if he's not healthy, and they want to try to protect him, keep him in the pocket a little bit more, I think that that does kind of help Oklahoma out because Oklahoma's secondary, as bad as this defense has played, secondary's been pretty good holding up uh, against the pass. So maybe that does play into Oklahoma's hands if Spencer Sanders isn't able to run the football uh, like he typically is accustomed to. So we'll see, but I I just don't feel good about it. Uh, I I don't know if Oklahoma is going to be able to do enough for all four quarters to slow OSU down enough to be able to win this game. Who has a better defense, Kansas State or Oklahoma State? Kansas State. So that should at least give you some sort of confidence. This team has scored on average 33 points a game at home. The duds from the offense have occurred on the road. And I think we felt this team had every opportunity to beat K-State at home. They had an opportunity at the end of the game to go down a drive and score. They stalled out multiple drives in that game inside K-State territory. That to me is the question. I think you can only win this game if it is in both teams are in the 30s, 40s, 50s. That's it. Let me, uh, let me think. If OU is beneath 30, game over. Not close. Agree. 
Let me let's switch over to the uh, Oklahoma State defense. Talk about when the Sooners had the football. Let me kind of preview this, guys, uh, for, for you, and then uh, you can give me your thoughts on it. Oklahoma State's defense in Big Twelve play this year, giving up thirty three points a game. Which, like you said, Corbin, there you go. There you go. Uh, they're actually dead last in the Big Twelve. I found this stat absolutely shocking. They're dead last in the Big Twelve in total defense, giving up four hundred eighty five yards a game. That's actually two yards more than the defense right here in Norman, Oklahoma. So oh a couple of impact guys OU fans are going to want to pay attention to. Linebacker number zero, Mason Cobb, uh, team leader in tackles. Expect a lot of collisions between him and Eric Gray uh, on Saturday night. And then the safety number five, if you follow recruiting at all, you uh, Oklahoma fans are going to know who this guy is. Kendall Daniels, redshirt freshman, six foot four, runs like a deer. He's fourth on the team in tackles to go along with three interceptions on the year. So you got to know where number five and number zero is at all time if you're Dylan Gabriel. Guys, this is definitely not the same defense that we've seen in Stillwater over the last couple of years as this Cowboys secondary is giving up uh, just over 300 passing yards a game. So for me, on Saturday, there's two big keys for Oklahoma's offense if they're going to give this team any chance to win on Saturday night. Number one for me, it's third down conversions. Oklahoma State is second in the Big 12 in third down defense. They do a really good job of getting you off the field, especially if you fall behind uh, fall behind the chains and they can utilize their pass rush. Oklahoma last weekend in Morgantown was an abysmal one for 11 on third downs. If they repeat that this weekend, Oklahoma State's going to run them out of the stadium on Saturday night. Number two, to me, this is the, this is the game. Massive stat that I think is going to go a long way is when Oklahoma gets in the red zone. So far in Big 12 play, Oklahoma State's defense has given up 20 they've given up points 26 out of 28 times that the opponent that the opposing team has gotten inside their 20-yard line. Oklahoma when they get inside the 20, they've got to score touchdowns and not settle for field goals. That's going to be a big thing that uh, Jeff Levy's group's going to have to take advantage of once you get inside that Oklahoma State red zone. I'm not concerned about the offense necessarily being able to put up some points because they do play better at home. The number one thing that I'm going to be watching is how Jeff Levy calls this game. I'm begging you, Jeff, please help your defense out. And we saw this uh, against West Virginia. We saw it against Iowa State. We've seen it other times as well where the momentum turns against your team. The offense has to go out on the field and OU goes three and out. And they run really quick and really fast. Happened against K-State a couple times as well. I want to see that pace help this team play more complimentary football. And then I also want to see effective running calls, essentially. There was two drives in sat on Saturday in rainy, cold West Virginia on a day where you had a running back that went for over 200 yards. Two drives in that game where OU did not have a single running back carry on that drive. I don't care if it's Eric Gray. I don't care if it's Marcus Major or Javante Barnes, or someone, the, the imbalance in that and the total, uh, I guess, ignoring of the running back game when it's the most effective piece of your offense, you can't have that absent for any drive. Adam, I think I'm going to have to kindly, uh, kind of disagree with you. I, I don't disagree. care what, I, I don't care what pace you run. You do whatever the hell you have to to score points. Yep. Because the only chance Oklahoma has on Saturday is winning this in a shootout. The, the pass to run ratio of the past few games has actually been pretty balanced. And that's, that's taking away Dylan Gabriel's runs. So I don't have any single issue. I mean, you, Eric Gray went over 200 yards. At some point, you started to see West Virginia load the box. You have to throw it. You have to. You have to keep him honest at some point. That's how Eric Gray is going to get his yards by keeping that defense honest. Mm-hmm. Don't have a Marvin Mims drop. Don't do not do Over- things that this team has shot themselves in the foot. The overthrows are back. We were complaining about that a month ago. I thought that stuff was fixed. 
Dylan looked better. He didn't, we weren't seeing the overthrows as much, but those things kill you on those short drives. Whenever you know, in college football, it's not necessarily like pros. Once you see the defense lineup, you know what you should do. Executing once you see what they, what they are lined up in is the difference. And this team hasn't executed well on those specific drives. Cause if you get a couple first downs at them, that defense has to loosen up out of the box. Then you get right back to the running game. So it, it does, it's a chicken before the egg thing. So I'm not quite with you on that because I do think there were some situations where even, even when they shouldn't have ran on Saturday, they tried to run. There was, I think on the, the fourth down call, um, when was that third, second or third quarter? There was seven guys in the box and they tried to run the ball. Now you can make the argument about how they tried to run the ball. Where's the wildcat? That's fine. But if there are seven guys in the box on what a fourth and two, fourth and three, whatever that play was, throw the damn ball. You've got one-on-one coverage. You telling me the wide receivers, Oklahoma can't beat one-on-one coverage against West Virginia defenders. I, I I'm not buying it. And so I, I could argue just the same way. They ran the ball a couple times when they shouldn't have run it. Yeah. But on a four, on a, what was it third and two or fourth and two i mean even though they do have seven guys in the box you should be able to line up in 12 personnel get get parker and willis on the field when is this team proven that i i agree i agree but the offensive line's kind of been them and eric gray that's been the staple over the last the strength of the season. team yeah. it's the strength of the team right i mean that, i mean you gotta ride eric gray till the wheels fall off that's yeah that's means. a lot of confidence you're sh- the wheels did. fell off <laughs> well, and, and again, well i mean Marvin Mims catches the football. If Dylan Gabriel hits Marvin Mims and doesn't overthrow him by five yards, if Braden Willis, a, if there's not a flag picked up in the end zone on that late hit, if yeah. Braden Willis stays behind the line of scrimmage to catch the football, oh that's a walk-in touchdown. I, I find it interesting that you guys are doubting Dylan Gabriel and his overthrows, but also saying that's what you want to do more of when the running game is working I, pretty well. I'm saying that on Saturday night, Dylan Gabriel is going to have to make those throws for Oklahoma to yeah. have a chance to win the game. O, OU's got OU has to score. 40 plus to win on Saturday night. Yeah. Can they do that? I'm not sure. I think the blueprint for this game for success for OU looks a lot like that Kansas game. Get out two touchdowns, you know, get a stop in that first drive against Oklahoma state, get a turnover Mm -hmm. something that can help, you know, bring the momentum and the offense has to score from the start on pretty much every position, every possession and give yourself that breathing room. And I think that can help the mentality of this team tremendously. So they're not in a dog fight as they go into the second, third, fourth quarter. What do you guys think the atmosphere is going to be like on Saturday? Has the fan base completely given up? It's going to be dead. Or do you think, yes, it's five and five versus seven and three. It's still Bedlam. This could be the last time that we play Bedlam at home. I think that the, hopefully the fans still bring a pretty good atmosphere for this one. I think it will start as a good atmosphere. I, I very much worry if this team gets down a couple scores, what's going to happen? I mean, the boo we, birds, the boo birds were out when we were undefeated last year. So I, I have no idea what to expect that. I don't care about Texas tech. I don't <clears throat> lose, lose it 50 to nothing. Don't care, but win just, Saturday. just win Saturday. Yep. Just, just take care of Bedlam. I don't want to hear it. If, if for whatever reason, this is either the last Bedlam or the last Bedlam in Norman, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear we, we got you a Norman last time. Chirp, 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 chirp. Yeah. When we have dominated this this rivalry, I don't want to hear it. If this team doesn't come out ready to play for that sole reason of an in-state rivalry, get them all off the team. Get them all off. Re- recruit 70 guys. Mm-hmm. Get them all out. It's a pride okay. game. And this yep. team has none. That we know. You know what else is a pride game? 
beers and bets. That's right. <laughs> Tyler, I just, I just want to know, are you feeling the pressure? Because I'm making up ground and you were talking all kinds of shit about three, four weeks ago. And that gap has drastically uh, diminished. Do, do you, are you feel a little pressure? One, uh, three and I'm one last week from you. Still two and a half games up. Still feeling pretty good. I love my card this week. We're going to ride it out. We'll see Jesus how it goes in this words. weekend. My, Adam, uh, Adam, that lead's kind of shrinking too. I gained a Adam's game grown this week. Yeah, <laughs> my lead grew. Adam, what's your first pick? <laughs> my first pick. I'm going to Iowa at Minnesota. I've bet the over-under on two Iowa games so far this season. I have missed both of them. I'm going back to the well. Third time's a charm. Iowa at Minnesota over 32 and a half. It seems so easy. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, pick number one for me. Uh, I will go second because I am in second place. Oklahoma State traveling to Norman for Bedlam. Uh, why Vegas has Oklahoma as a seven and a half point favorite, I don't understand. Vegas is very rarely wrong. I just simply don't understand why. Um, I, I'll give my pick for this game a little bit later, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys to stay within seven and a half of Oklahoma. That's To me, that's free money. And yep. it kind of scares me. A uh, little side note here, LSU, sixth in the college football playoff. Sixth. They went out, they're in. Just, just making that aware now. Wow. Two-loss ten- LSU team. Was, was Tennessee five? Tennessee's five. See, that's going to be – that's gonna. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that if that happens. Yeah. The, the Georgia-Tennessee debate, that mm-hmm. will be, that'll be fascinating. Yep. All right, uh, my first pick, a line that seems way too easy. I'm sticking with the overs. It has helped me climb back into this. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. I feel like this week's going to bite me because I had 10 picks on my original board and I hated them all. SMU Tulane. SMU just put up 77 against Houston two weeks ago. This seems way too good to be true. Over 64 and a half. I'll take it. Don't feel good about it. My number two, I'm going to the Big Ten Northwestern plus 19 and a half at Purdue. It just seems too big for a team that likes to play at such a slow pace and Purdue, I think, has been a little bit, a little bit disappointing this year. Although they are still in good position to possibly win the Big Ten West, we'll see. That's kind of a muddled mess right now. Watch out for those Boilermakers down the stretch, Cinderella, Cinderella kids. Watch out for them. Pick number two for me. I'm staying in the Big Twelve. This is another one where I'm betting on a road favorite. Um, Kansas State traveling to Morgantown take on West Virginia. Uh, Kansas State is favored by seven and a half in this one. If Will Howard plays, this is a blowout. So give me the Wildcats to cover the seven and a half. Weird things happen in Morgantown, especially after a big win. Team K-State's, Kansas Team. State's lost the last two in West Virginia. West Virginia so I don't let's know. Get, let's get weird. Uh, Texas, Kansas. I worry a little bit about, oh, is Texas going to bounce back? Is Kansas going to bounce back? I think they both do offensively over 63 and a half. Is Daniels back this week? It's looking like it's trending that direction. So, oh, baby, that could help. I've got UMass at Texas A&M under 48 and a half. I figure UMass might not score, but I don't think Texas A&M can score 49 points here. But if UMass can score, that means they're probably going on long drives against Texas A&M and chewing up a lot of clock in the process because that's their avenue to making this game pretty close. So even then, I don't think the Aggies are going to be able to score much uh, regardless. I had UMass plus 33 and a half on my card all week until about an hour before we started recording just because I don't know if Texas A&M can score 33 points. Um, but I left that one off. Just simply don't under 
staying away from picking any SEC games this weekend going up against FCS schools. So pick number three for me, staying right here in the Big 12. This is another one. TCU traveling to Waco, take on Baylor. That's kind of been kind of a pretty good rivalry in the Big 12 over the last four or five years. Uh, Horn Frogs going on the road. I'm I'm kind of worried about a letdown after the big win in Austin. Combine that with Baylor just getting obliterated 31-3 to at home against Kansas State last weekend. Could be a, kind of a trap game for TCU, but uh, Horn Frogs kind of feels like a team of destiny right now. I think they go into Waco and cover the two and a half. Uh, that, again, a number that seems way too good to be true right there. Um, give me Ohio State at Maryland. Um, I wanted to take the over in this game. Maryland has not scored very many points the past two games. Got shut out against Penn State. I don't think Ohio State's defense is as good as Penn State's defense. Um, so it makes me just a little bit nervous on the over. So I'm actually taking Ohio State minus 27 and a half. I think 28 to 31 is right in the sweet spot here. And uh, yeah, I'll take that. Last week was Veterans Day, and I did not give the troops a chance to redeem themselves. They <laughs> let me down time and time again this season, except for one week. One week, Air Force uh, helped me out. But otherwise, the troops have just been so disappointing. I'm giving them another chance. There's only a few weeks left in the season, so I have to give them a chance to redeem themselves and get in my good graces here. UConn uh, playing at Army. I'm taking the under 43 and a half here. Bowl eligible UConn. Wow. That's right. Versus Liberty, no less. There you go. SEC number killer f- Liberty. Pick number four for me. We're going out to the SEC country. Beamer ball, in effect. TCU traveling to Columbia to take on the Gamecocks. Tennessee is a 21.5 point favorite. Uh, looking at the newest college football playoff rankings, Tennessee coming in at number five. That's all going to kind of take care of itself. But Tennessee, they need style points moving forward. And I think that they're going to go into Columbia and I think that they're going to take down Spencer Rattler and give me Tennessee to blow out the Gamecocks cover the 21 and a half. Yeah. I like that pick a lot. Again, a lot of these seem too good to be true. Shit, um, I hate it. Oh damn. I've got UT Kansas twice on my card. All right. I got to think of another one. Uh, USC UCLA, an astronomical number at 75 and a half. Oh, I am terrified of this, <laughs> but it makes more sense to take the over than the under. Um, it worries me having Travis die out for USC. I think that's a huge loss. What does that mean? Caleb Williams is going to throw it all over the damn yard, which means the clock is going to stop a lot. That is my only hope that this hits the over 75 and a half out in LA. I like it. I hope that's the physical team that just smacks him in uh, Lincoln Riley. Please, team Chip again. Kelly. Chip yeah, Kelly, Zach, please. Zach Charbonnet feels like the guy that just undoes a, a Lincoln Riley yep. defense. Uh, for my number five, I've got Texas Tech at Iowa State. It's my third under on the card. And you might say, yeah, it's a little careless with, uh, with a two-game lead over Tyler because the most important thing is that Tyler loses, not that I win this contest. That's right. But I'm doing it anyway. It's late November. Uh, <laughs> and so I think the under is going to prove to be more fruitful think that iowa state defense is pretty solid it'll be i think the third straight week that tyler shuck is back from injury and starting for the red raiders uh, but i don't think he's seen a defense quite as good as iowa state yet so under on the 47 and a half fortunately texas tech might only need 21 points to beat iowa state on saturday hunter deckers mm-hmm. in that cycling offense is that bad pick number five for me staying in the sec old miss traveling to uh, fayetteville to take on arkansas on saturday night guys weather forecast for this one low teens it's predicted it is going to be the forecast on Saturday. So for that fact, uh, and the, uh, keep in mind that Ole Miss coming off of the Alabama hangover, uh, Arkansas just had a blood, just had a tough physical battle against LSU. Uh, over under on this one is set at sixty one and a half because of the weather conditions, because of the physicality that these two teams just played a game with. 
Give me the under 61 and a half. I'm actually going to take off Tyler's card here for my last one. Give me Tennessee and minus 21 and a half. That seems too good to be true in the sense that it is. I don't want to lose that game to Tyler heading in the final weeks of the season. So, yeah, all orange helmets for Tennessee uh, this week. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. white stripe. Guys, let's hop into score predictions here. Very curious to uh, see how everybody feels. Adam, let's start us off with you. In years past, OU fans have brought oranges to the final home game of the year to throw onto the field as they head off to the Orange Bowl. So my question to you guys is, what should I bring if we are clinching a bowl berth in the uh, Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, or the Tax Act Texas Bowl? Like my W two shit. Bring your bring your N ninety five. Bring your N ninety five mask, Adam. Throw that if, on the field. if they get blown out, I'm not going to be mad at fans throwing bags of feces on the field. That's where I'm at. I might have to get like a police badge for the serve pro first responder bowl. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I don't think I'm going to have to throw anything on the field. It's going to be miserable. I think it's going to be another game where OU makes too many mistakes, shoots themselves in the foot. And even though I do have doubts about Oklahoma State and how healthy they are and, and their defense is statistically worse than ours, I just don't have any trust or faith in this team to do what they need to do. So I've got OSU winning this one 44 to 37. Yeah, Adam, I'm kind of following the same line of thinking as you. Um, I said just a little while ago, first team to 40 is going to win. Oklahoma is going to have to score 40 plus to have any chance of beating Spencer Sanders. But unfortunately, the only team in Oklahoma that is going to get to 40 on Saturday is going to be the team up in Stillwater. I just don't believe enough in this Oklahoma defense to hold things together for four quarters. Uh, I think that there will be some stretches where OU is able to have some success and get uh, the Cowboys off of the field. But again, kind of like what you alluded to, Corbin, I think it's going to come down. It'll be a it'll be a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter, and I think OU gets in their own way again, and I think that Oklahoma State behind the legs of Spencer Sanders is going to pull out a 41 to 31 win over Oklahoma. Spencer Sanders should be foaming at the mouth for this game at the mouth, foaming at the mouth. He should be licking his chops to be a Norman on Saturday because as much as I'm sure last year felt like somewhat of a redemption, he remembers last time in Norman too, where he got spit in his face. He had his towel kicked, uh, you know, across the field that was actually when this defense had a backbone and it was a bit nasty, at least at times showed it. 52-37 Cowboys. I think it's close early, and that's about it. Dear God. Yeah, Ronnie Perkins isn't showing up in Norman on Saturday night. Still, his, still has a year of eligibility, you think, right? You think, you think we give up 50? 50? <laughs> I, think we, I think we give up 50. Ooh, I don't think Mike or Spencer is going to lay off the gas at all. No, yeah, they're definitely I, not going to. Hopefully we are all dead wrong and uh, we're able to come back next week and, and talk about how wrong we were and hopefully talk about you know uh, some more positive things as we head into the the final game of the season against Texas Tech which I think it will be the I'm final s- one but I'm so sad I'm so sick and tired of recapping losses and predicting OU to lose games yeah <laughs> sick and tired. <laughs> likewise likewise but definitely appreciate everyone listening despite all the losses um we've had our best year by far continued growth and listenership people following us on twitter at the mainline pod and as well on youtube by searching uh, the mainline podcast we've seen a ton of growth there have a new highlight video out that uh, is actually somewhat exciting <laughs> in comp- in contrast to what this team is doing on the field so definitely appreciate everyone's support there as we get more 
into the offseason. We're probably going to talk a little bit more basketball as well. Uh, team got a, a good win tonight. And so there's some interesting storylines there. We'll talk men's and women's basketball. We'll get into some other sports as well as the season continues. But appreciate everyone listening. And we will see everyone again next week for the Mainline Podcast.